welcome to the World of Speakers podcast brought to you by Speaker Hub. In each episode, we interview a professional speaker and reveal their very best tips and tricks. You'll learn to improve your presentation skills, keep your audience engaged, and learn how to grow your business to get more gigs and make more money. Here's your host, Ryan Foland. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the World of Speakers podcast. I have my friend and fellow speaker, fellow author, but he has something up on me that I don't have. He is a UN advisor. He is doing a lot of good in the world and all having to do with two letters in the alphabet, A and I, which he's written a book on and which he speaks about, which we will dig into today. Neil Sahada. Welcome to the show. Hey, Ryan, man. It's always a pleasure to be hanging out with you. Good, good. Well, I want to pretend like we are on Catalina Island in Big Geiger Cove. I've finally convinced you to sail over there on my sailboat. And just for fun, I maybe won't talk to you for the five to seven hours it takes to get there. We go to the beach in silence. We wait for the sun to set. And uh, I awkwardly build a fire. And now it's just you and I in a cove on an island. And I ask you one simple question, Neil, tell me a story from your past that represents everything about you. Just one story, a moment in time and the fires crackling and the smokes maybe more in my eyes than yours at this moment. And the sun has gone down and you're like, Ryan, this one time, what does that look like? Well, Ryan, this one time (laughs) about 50 years ago when business intelligence was really taken off, I'd hear from my clients, guys like, you know, Michael Eisner and Howard Schultz and stuff like, dude, it's really incredible what machines are telling us. And I'm thinking to myself, they're not telling us anything, right? We had these cool new tools back then that allow us to collect lots of data and slice and dice it and create these nice looking reports. But the computer isn't telling us anything, but could it? And so I embarked on a journey to say, like, how would a machine actually try and think I would actually use data to come to some conclusions. And that set me on this whole course of AI. So as a young child, you essentially knew that this was the path. This was the what you're chasing after. I was always the kind of kid that sought the path of most resistance. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a good title because sometimes that's as speakers how we feel. It's like the path of most resistance. <laughs> You feel like, are you glad for punishment? No, I just like the path of most resistance. (laughs) Well, what's ironic is that computing and computers, you know, all of that really tries to lessen the brain damage that we have to do. But it sounds like there has to be a lot of brain damage to get technology to the point where it's less brain damage. Well, we like to think that way. But I, I think what technology has done for us is actually given us more work. It's just, it's more complicated work. It's more creativity, it's more imagination, more critical thinking. Whether we like it or not, we're gonna have to keep using our brains in in more sophisticated ways. So would you say that you were a complicated guy? I don't think I'm a complicated guy. Actually, a lot of people tell me I'm too simplistic. Okay. But it's like, if you wanna do great things, it's not gonna be like that low hanging fruit. That's not how you like change the game. Right. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it, right? Right. (laughs) Okay. Now, this is a a podcast about speaking, and I've known you as a professor, as a lecturer, which is technically a speaker, but when was it that you, in your life, identified as a speaker? 
Great question. It was probably really about six years ago. Teaching, I'd go out and talk at conferences every now and then, but I never actually considered myself a speaker until people started saying, like, you're like one of the most dynamic speakers I've ever heard. Would you come speak at my conference? I'm like, well, I'm not really a speaker. And they're like, Neil, I don't think you realize this, but you totally are. (laughs) (laughs) That's the kind of feedback where you're like, oh, okay. (laughs) Now, actually, I'm guessing how many times did somebody have to say that for it to actually click? Because it's one thing to just hear that, but it's probably something to hear a few times. Like, how many times did somebody have to say that? Or was it truly just like that one moment you're like, oh, crap. No, the first time I heard him, like, yeah, or whatever, they're being kind. Second time, uh-huh. third time, hmm. It's probably like the fifth or sixth time it's like, okay, wait a second. They're seeing something that I didn't. Yeah, and I think that's awesome for our listeners because a lot of people maybe want to be speakers, but people aren't seeing them as speakers. And I think that some people might be listening going, well, people keep saying I'm a speaker, but I don't see myself as a speaker. And I think that what you've done is you've always been communicating and especially from a professor or a a standpoint in that respect. And I'm going to be curious about digging into what you've learned in the classroom that translates to the stage. But before I want to know if in your family, are there any examples of speakers or people that have taken a profession where they are taking to the stage or they are back in the day, some sort of semblance of speaking? No, actually, my family has a lot of like engineers, doctors, people that serve the military, business, but not speakers and not people that actually just even went up and shared their stories. So you're a first gen speaker. First gen speaker, man. I think that's kind of cool. It's interesting. I always love to hear what the family influence was. And most of the time there's my father was this, or I always remember when this happened, but you were truly a trendsetter here in your own family. Now, the final question is if you were to have a kid or not, I'm not going to get into that, would you encourage them down the path of speaking, whether it's full-time or part-time or medium-time? I would. I would encourage them to do that because I believe everyone has a story to share. Uh, And that sounds like a podcast you have. Is that correct? Changing the Story podcast. Yeah. We're encouraging people (laughs) to share their stories. Awesome. And I, I think that's interesting that you bring it back to the story because it's not necessarily about speaking. I ask people, are you a public speaker? And they go, no. And I say, well, if you speak in public, then you are a public speaker. It's a scientific (laughs) fact that you cannot argue either. And I bust into a rap, right? But in actuality, we're all speakers. But I think that maybe what people are seeing in you is your storytelling ability. And I'll say that you're one of my favorite people to follow on LinkedIn because you find these weird like stories that draw emotions and make you feel like there are really human things that are happening out there. And I would say my final question here is at what point did you consider yourself a storyteller? You know, it never really clicked in my mind that I was a storyteller until I met this guy and he was the former principal of a very astute private high school. He was just asking a little bit about AI and he used to be a football player. And so I went up explaining AI to him and then explained AI to his 15-year-old son based on what I told him. And he's like, Neil, you're like the greatest storyteller I've ever heard. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, I've talked to all these big names. I was introduced to Ray Kurzweil. I had no idea what the heck AI was. Five minutes with you 
and you explain it to football and I totally get it. He's like, that's a superpower you have, man. You don't know how amazing storyteller you are. And it's like, again, kind of clicked in my mind. Never thought I was a storyteller, huh? And when was that from a time standpoint? How many years ago was that? That was four years ago. So you recognized yourself as a speaker first, then two years later saw the fact that it's really your storytelling. And so maybe right now you're a speaker teller or a story, story eaker, right? (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) before we go down the rabbit hole of me making up too many words, because it does happen almost every episode, I want to now know your advice from what you've learned as somebody who has not had a storytelling speaker influence in their family to go off of, somebody who just did their own thing and then found out that what you're doing was something. For your experience, what is the secret sauce to being a speaker without knowing it, to being a great storyteller without knowing it? And has your delivery changed now that you've identified with it? Or is it just still the same thing you've been doing? Good questions. My delivery actually hasn't changed. And maybe I got lucky in how I started because the two biggest pieces of advice I can give people is know your audience and adaptability. I mean, it's, it's not rocket science, but you know, especially not identifying as a speaker initially, you know, people come and ask and they're like, what do you want me to talk about? And that kind of stuff. And like, well, what do you have canned? I'm like nothing. I don't can my talks, right? I adapt my talks for the audience. <laughs> and they're looking at me like I'm crazy. Like, what are you talking about? Well, I talk not because I love the sound of my own voice. I talk because I'm trying to create value for your audience members, right? If they want to learn something, if they want to be able to do something, who are they? What's going to make the most sense? And so anytime I, I give a talk or even serve on a panel, that's my very first question is who the audience, what are they hoping to get out of this? What do you want them to get out of this? What industries, what age groups, demographic, all that kind of stuff. And then I say, okay, maybe this would be a good topic or this type of format or fireside chat, whatever it might be. And so I create every speech I ever give, every keynote I've given organically that way. It's always from scratch. Now, is it all tied back to something that is your root topic? It is all linked back to AI or is it truly just, let me see what I have in my toolkit based on what the audience is and what you want as an event? It's really about my toolkit when I bring to the table. I mean, sometimes it's AI, but sometimes it's about how do I build resilience in my team or how do I manage a distributed workforce or how do you come up with disruptive ideas, right? Because I spent 12 years as a management consultant doing exactly that. And so it's just, it's more about the need and what's valuable for the audience than I just happen to be good at a couple of things. I'll just form something around that. And I've told people that sometimes as we discuss it and like, you know, I don't think I can actually add value for your audience here. So you actually look at the audience and if the adaptability is too far for it to make sense and that you might be stretched beyond your story set or your expertise or your experience, you're like, ah, might not be the best fit. Yeah. And I think we've probably all seen a speaker where it doesn't seem to quite fit in or it's like, it doesn't seem like they quite know what they're talking about. (laughs) Yeah. Or it seems very canned. This is funny. So I'm not going to name the name of the speaker here, but I read somebody's book. Don't worry. It's not you, by the way. (laughs) Okay. So I, I read somebody's book and then ended up having a chance to share the stage with this person so that I was like, wow, I get to see him talk. And then I was inspired and I 
asked him to be on a podcast. And the book was the same as the talk was the same as the podcast interview. I mean, I'm talking almost word for word. <laughs> oh my God. And what's fascinating though, is the success that this individual has, has received. It, it's a testament to a solid single focus, but I'm on the podcast going, I read this story in your book and I heard you say this in a live audience. And now you're telling me again, I'm thinking to myself, I'm not going to be interested in really consuming the multitude of content from this person if it seems to be the same. So it worked for that person, but I like that it's also working on the other side of the fence. That's what you got to do. I I think I've met too many speakers, and I'm sure you have too, Ryan, where they think their talk is about them. They don't think about the audience. They don't think what's important. And I think this is where, ironically, being a professor probably helped me out when I was recognized that I was even a speaker, and that I remember it was like to be a student, and I didn't like to be lectured at and all these kinds of things, so I never came in to teach class and said, okay, I have to teach them these 10 things. I have to get through this checklist. I was like, look, they're taking this class to get a job, so what's really going to help them? Job? Right? Maybe there's 10 things that would be beneficial, but I can only help them get four or five of those skills, so I'm going to focus on that. And I try to make the class this very real world environment. And I've heard so many students tell me that one, they thankfully liked the class, but two, they're like, it's like no other class I've taken before. It's like, you're like really trying to teach me stuff. Okay. It sounds like you're using AI and machine learning when you're the computer trying to take <laughs> the feedback. And I bet you your second or third class is probably you've machine learned what works and what doesn't, but you're also like, taking in sensors and making predictive guesses, which is different than machine learning. So you're a professor who's learning how to teach based on what students want to learn. Yep. I like this analogy of students to an audience because I think we tend to look at an audience not as students. And I have seen speakers guest lecture in classrooms and it, it has not hit because it is a one-sided talk, right? Lecturing at. And you and I both know professors, there are some of them that truly believe they are there to just share their own wisdom and you take it or leave it. But in today's day and age with essentially remote learning becoming the new standard, that's a dangerous territory. You're going to have people falling asleep on you. You're going to, it's going to be crazy. I want to go back to your customization of adaptability for your audience slash students. How are you storing, preparing, and coming up with your PowerPoints or your presentations? And the reason I ask that is that I do a lot of customization as well. I do a lot of stick figure drawing. I, I try to understand similarly what the audience, what it will resonate. But I find myself in like all these versions of PowerPoints and all these backlogs of stick figures and like how do you go through the process of creating something without it being a total time suck or lack of organization or whatever? What does that presentation look like for you? That's a good question. And now that I recognize that I'm the storyteller, I realize it's just, I'm trying to craft a story. And so I always think about if there's only one thing the audience takes away from my talk, what would that be? And I kind of structure everything around that. And from the slide perspective, are you heavy on the slides or are you just sort of, you, you just liked it, you don't need slides? What about that part of it? I've done it both ways and people actually tell me that I tend to be a lot more 
dynamic and engaging without slides. They say like, you're a pretty lively speaker, but you speak even more lively. But some talks you need slides. And I'm not the kind of guy that likes to throw like a lot of text and stuff on the slides. Most of my slides are just a picture, just to kind of create a little imagery so that when I'm talking, it kind of helps them visualize and recognize. I'll throw in a couple of videos as well, just to show like something that's more concrete. Earlier this year, I was asked to actually give a keynote to the Ninth Circuit federal judges. And they, you know, I was told that there thinks there's a lot of hype and all this kind of stuff. And so, you know, I came and my first thing was like, yeah, there's a lot of hype in AI. People are doing it to make money and boost their stock price. But the problem with the hype is there's actually legitimate stuff going on that people find unbelievable or not even thinking about what can be done. And then I showed this video of this guy that control, he's lost his hand but he can control a robotic hand with his mind. It's a real video. It's just a shot in like some, it's lab, low production quality. And everyone looks at that. It's like, oh my God, that's real. That's real. Right. Then it's like, okay, now they're going to be a little more open to listening. So it's story first, presentation last, and somewhere in the middle, visuals and videos that support the story is more important than having the images and the videos that you want to match with the message that you want to come in and talk about. That's right. It's the story, the message, then you find what things slot along with that. It's not like I have this really cool video. I'm going to build my story around it. Okay. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to keep that simple and tight there in that, you know, you gave two pieces of advice and I'll add the one thing that you said, but you didn't say, which is, one key thing that you're taking away. And it sounds like with the information about the audience first, you're able to then adapt a story that happens to have a presentation to support the story, which then is focused on one single thing that they're going to take away. Right. Okay, we've just dissected your <laughs> your speech process. Now we can all take over and utilize this and make it our own. You've kind of made me show what's behind the curtain. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's like, I don't know, and I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but it's like, we've finally gotten behind the green curtain and you're like, that's it? <laughs> <laughs> like you said, it's not rocket science. <laughs> yeah. No, but I think that's refreshing because there's so many ways that as a speaker, we can get lost in the process. We can focus on the wrong things. We can have the wrong target. We can speak to the wrong audience. And it ends up being a lot of work, but all for naught. So I think we all have stories. And so finding a story that matches what works for the audience and holding back on things that are not going to bring value, I think that's a good equation. The Neil equation. (laughs) The Neil equation. The Neil equation. I want to move now to how you have had success in building your speaker business. And where I think this is interesting is that you're a professor. You know, I, I work at UCI in communications and like we have these day jobs that we enjoy doing and speaking is something that you discovered. Storytelling is something that you learned is part of your speaking. How have you taken or what steps have you taken to make that more serious, to start getting paid, to start generating revenue? I know that you wrote your book, Own the AI Revolution. But how has that all worked? Because I wrote a book, Ditch the Act, and it's a grind to use it as part of the speaking. It's amazing and helpful, but I now want to learn what you've been doing. Uh, Ryan, I hate to break it to you. It's always going to be a grind. Wait, the path of most resistance. So I'm on the right path. You got it. Yeah. 
It is. I don't think a lot of people that realize that to be a, a professional speaker, even part-time does take a lot of work. And when I decided I want to do more of it, because I, I actually do enjoy it, first thing I did was actually seek out help because it's like, it's not a space that I really know. And it's like, at that point, I was actually giving a talk like a month, but it's just people that had either seen me or things like that. And so working with people that actually were professional speakers for a while and learning those ropes about what you do and how you reach out and how you engage and you got to target, and you got to have a speaker reel. You actually have to put together a lot of collateral so that people know how good you are. Like, I hate to say it, I had done a TEDx talk and I had never thought to leverage that, you know, until I talked to these people. Right. Sometimes a challenge when you're starting is that you need to be seen on the big stages for people to think that you're worth being paid. You need to have the speaker reel with you on stages to make it seem like someone else has already taken the chance on you. But it's that chicken and the egg. You're like, well, I need you to give me the chance on stage so that I can capture that. And right now, since everything's digital, it's if you didn't capture that live footage on the stage before, then now it's like digital live Zoom catching reels kind of thing. It's the good thing of today is that someone recorded it. So just ask for a copy. Right. Yeah. That's true. And I find it interesting that most people don't realize that. It's just like, just ask to get a copy. I was asked to be on Good Day DC. I'd done an interview. And then I'm just like, hey, can I get a copy of the interview? They're like, yeah, sure. Here you go. Never ask, never get. Yeah. It's, it's the same thing. If you want to be a speaker and you're looking for gigs, you have to tell people that I'm looking for gigs. <laughs> right? Unfortunately, people aren't just going to connect the dots. Why do you have to give such simple advice to make it seem like it's attainable without some sort of hack or app? Why are you doing this? I told you why I seek the path of most resistance. I'm actually a very simple guy. <laughs> and, and what's interesting is I'm fascinated with simplicity and it's deceiving because simple does not mean easy. It's the opposite. Simple is inversely proportional to ease. <laughs> simple equals one over ease. The Ryan equation. <laughs> Your Ryan equation, yes. <laughs> okay, so in the honor of simplicity, what we just talked about for the last five minutes actually seems kind of complex. I'm going to be honest with you. You got to do the speaker's rule. Then you got to do this. And you got to ask. And you got to do it. And if I were to listen to that, I'd be like, Neil just said it's simple, but he was really explaining how he needed help. And there was these ropes to learn. So let's imagine that there's a ropes course that you're building. And there are only three components to this rope course. What would those three fundamental, basic, simple, not easy, but simple steps be, not for you to pontificate on and say this would work for someone else, but if you look back, you're like, these are the simplest, not necessarily easiest things that I've done to build my speaking business. Well, three things, I'd say brand, collateral, outreach. So brand is, what do you want to be known for, right? People want to come and speak. What is that? So you have to be able, you can't say I, I do everything. I'm going to push back on that. Coming from the guy who said, I'm going to adapt and I'll talk about customer culture or about engaging here or about AI. From the looks of that, that could be seen as like what you want. You tell, I'm not going to tell you what I talk about. You tell me what your audience wants and then I'll tell you what I'm going to give you. How did you navigate that brand or is it all centered on one thing? What do you want to be known for, Neil? It's interesting you say that because, you know, when I embarked on actually being a professional speaker, I already had a lot of collateral that was already out there. And so people had seen my TED talk, they had seen this, so I've been known for a lot of things. 
But the underlying thing between everything I ever talked about was disruption. That's actually what I, you know, I did in my career and actually still do today is that I'm known as a guy that creates disruption. Okay. The good kind, like you're not going to ruin the party. You're going to move the party to a new location and not tell people. And that's going to be the best party in town. <laughs> you got to be invited, right? Yeah, exactly. Even when people like, but I thought you're the AI guy, but AI is just a tool for disruption. Okay. So this is interesting because you gave the three steps as brand and then collateral, but in your experience, it was collateral, which determined your brand. Well, at that time it was a hodgepodge, but if you're going to do and say, I want to be a speaker to support your brand, I had to create collateral. Like I didn't have a speaker reel. There was a bunch of videos and audio stuff floating around about things I've talked about, but that's not a speaker reel. I had to create essentially a video montage that shows not just what I'm like talking about, but more importantly, my style. How do I actually speak? How do I try to engage with the audience? Like different formats. Like you see one of me in a keynote, you see me one on a panel with like Common and Gary V. You see me doing a fireside chat. It's to try and give people an idea of what you can actually do, where your experience actually lies. Okay. So for the listeners, don't confuse content with collateral. And I think that's where I got tripped up. Before you recognized or had the epiphany that you are a speaker and storyteller, you had already created a lot of content. There's content that's out there. But that's an interesting distinction because content doesn't mean you can take something on its own and just share it and be like, I'm a speaker, here's my proof. Yep. So the content that you create could help you or should help you determine the brand that you want to be known for. Correct. And I always say that your brand is not what other people think about you. It's not what you want to be known for, but it's that intersection. So if you have content and blog posts and videos and things you've already done, then that could be a good foundation to decide your brand to then be conscious about creating the collateral that supports the brand and is most likely still relevant to the content that you've created. You got it, Ryan. Boom. We've just (laughs) reverse engineered the CCS plus Java script. (laughs) Okay, so let's attack this last one about outreach. I want to know specifically in a COVID world what you think works or what you're trying to make work from an outreach standpoint. And is there a way to use AI? And is there a way to be smarter about it that might not be easy to create? But once a system is created, like I want to know how to disrupt outreach when it comes to speaking, grabbing speaking engagements. I'll give you the 20th century way first (laughs) is... Go out and just, you tell people, you just don't tell your network, post on LinkedIn, you know, hey, I've done like, you know, a 30 second video going like, hey, I remember giving this talk and I like these, you know, and I'm basically telling people that, hey, I'm open to speaking engagements. You got something, let me know. An opportunity, let's talk. So just like now, that is a simple step and it happens to be technically an easy step, but it might be one of the most difficult steps to sort of put yourself out there as a speaker. And I think a lot of people kind of get freaked out and like, well, does it look like I'm advertising? I'm like, this is the funny thing. Unless you actually say it, people don't know it. It's the same thing. I, I learned like on my LinkedIn post, you're talking about that. You'll see now that I said like, hey, please follow me. Like click here to follow me to see more, learn more. Right. And then before I did that, eh, maybe now and then somebody would follow me. Now it's like I get 20, 30 followers a day as a result. Cause like, oh yeah, I should totally follow this guy. Click. Same thing with the podcast. So you're actually helping to lead the horse to water. Yep. But then when you get him there, you're like, all right, well, this water's going to be here if you want to come back next week. 
<laughs> Look, I think we've all watched YouTube videos and you see the guy like, hey, no, if you really like, like the video, like it, subscribe, that kind of stuff. And some people think it's cheesy, but sometimes like I've watched a really good video and then in the end they say like, oh yeah, I should totally like this. <laughs> Duh, <laughs> you know? Okay, you summed it up right there. Duh, like (laughs) what you may think is obvious is not obvious to someone until you actually tell them. Okay, so finding the confidence, strength, and courage once you've decided what your brand is to put yourself out there and actually be like, I'm here, (laughs) follow me, subscribe. If you need a speaker, I can help you. All right, that's a good top of mind strategy. So now that you're top of mind, but then you're just waiting and waiting and nobody invites you to speak. And then all of a sudden you're just like, this advice that Neil gave isn't so strong. It's incomplete. So what's the next part? Next part is you actually have to go out and do your own outreach. So you have to go and look for what kind of events, look for conferences and all these things and say like, is this something I'd like to speak at? And if they don't have a a speaker's forum or nomination, thing like that, find the contact person and reach out to them. And said, hey, you know, I'm really interested in your event. I'm known for this. And I think there might be a good topic here. Can we chat about it? Interesting. And I can vouch that that works. That is something I do. Here's an example of that in process. I was actually researching for women's leadership conferences because I had recently spoken at one. And so I'm like, God, oh, it was fun. It was a good message about authenticity and, and empowerment. And so I Googled, and I found like the 12th annual international women's leadership conference. So I went to the website. And I could not find a call for speakers. So I used the contact form and I emailed, oh, do you guys have a call for speakers? The guy emailed me and said, yes, we do. Thanks so much for asking. It's right here. You want to know what the link was? It was whateverwebsite.com forward slash apply. <laughs> Ryan's secret right there. <laughs> There's a secret. Take the website forward slash apply. Okay. But here's where it goes further. I then thanked the gentleman. I then found him on LinkedIn. I connected with him on LinkedIn and said, I'm really excited that we connected. I'm looking forward to this conference. And he replied back. And so now I have a conversation going on with somebody on the inside that is going to look for my application coming in, all because I couldn't find how to apply and then created that personal connection. So it could be as simple as that. It works. And there's a third piece to this. If you speak at a place and they thought you were a great speaker, let them know you're looking for other opportunities. So if like, do you know anybody that might be interested in me speaking? You would be surprised how many times like, you know, I actually know so-and-so over there. I went about to getting a gig in Australia that way. Awesome. You know, actually there's these guys in Australia, they're running this big legal conference. You'd be perfect for them. I'll make an introduction. All right. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to do, I'm going to make this, it's called the TSU. This is your new formula, your new algorithm. It's, Tell people that you're a speaker. And I don't know if the next one works, but I was going to say sell yourself as a speaker, which is assuming the outreach. We call it search for speaking. <laughs> search. Okay. I like that. We'll just keep it the same. That's good. Search for speaking opportunities and then upsell after your speech, not to the audience, but to the actual organizer. That's right. Okay. So we have just deciphered a new way. And if we could code this and then we could get massive amounts of people to give us the data that we can learn to see what works and what not. And then we can create for those speakers that don't have a speaker hand, we'll create some sort of machine and then they can control it with their brain. Well, that, I think that's the ultimate thing. You were asking about AI, the, the 21st century solution is to have a little AI assistant actually help do this for you and actually help find like those conferences and the contacts and 
to help you build your own little portfolio. I mean, we could do it. We just need the data. Okay. Well, I'm happy to be a, a test pilot and we can create, now, I've got a bot. Her name is Gingybot. Maybe she can help. We can program some of the back end on that and have Gingybot do some reach out, outreach for me and stuff like that. Hey, well, for people who want to know about disruption and how to get into the party that they don't know is there because they don't have an invite, I'm going to tell them that if they purchase and read your book, it's probably a nice invitation to learning more about you and some of the crazy stuff that you do. So where do people find your book and how do people follow you? Well, my book is available at every major retailer, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, the full ball wax. If you want to learn more about me, I encourage you to come visit me at my website, which is neilsahoda.com or follow me on LinkedIn and Twitter or Instagram. I'm always sharing stuff all the time about disruption and what I'm up to. So good way to stay in touch. Awesome. Well, hey, Neil, this has been fun. And I think one of the things that stands out is a definition of a speaker that I've known, but I haven't necessarily put a a permanent marker on, is that to speak is really just to tell one story really well. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, if people want to check out your podcast where you're helping people share their stories, how do they find that? Where do they go? And how do they share their story on your podcast? The podcast is, again, changing the story. The website is ctscast.com. It's on every major platform, so easy click from there, too, to the website. But we actually have a form on there, so if you'd like to come on as a guest, just fill that out, and we'll get you set up. Awesome. Well, the shout-out to Speaker Hub for sponsoring this amazing opportunity for me to, to burn almost an hour and have fun and have a great conversation. Neil, I will invite you, if you'd like a VIP spot on the Speaker Hub platform, I would like to see what you think about how it works because there is an outreach mechanism to do call for speakers. Maybe there's some more opportunity for AI in there. Maybe we can utilize some of your brain to help other speakers use data that we know in order to get people more stages so they can share more stories so they can share less. I sounds like a plan, Ryan. Let's do it. All right, buddy. Hey, take care. And we will see you around sometime. Ladies and gentlemen, You know what? Normally, I just say we're out of here, but I'm going to say if you like this podcast, you should subscribe. You should follow. You should share it with your friends because even though you might like it, you might not know that there's an opportunity to share this with other people. So follow Neil on LinkedIn. Follow me on LinkedIn. Follow Speaker Hub on LinkedIn. Share with your friends. Hopefully, that wasn't too... Was that good, Neil? Was that good? I think that's good. I think you got the message. Like, follow, subscribe. All right. We'll see you next week or whenever it is that you consume this content. Adios. Adios.